partnership with us over the years. It's been a great partnership. We've had even had visits from people from Sunnybank uh, come to Malawi and uh, see us in Malawi, in our natural habitat. <laughs> and uh, we had Don Marriott first, and then uh, we had Locke and Matt. Ford come and visit us and it was tremendous so I want to thank you for that and for your prayer support over the years and for your financial support it's been a, a tremendous thing that uh, we've really appreciated and uh, I know that um, that your contribution your partnership with us in in the mission to the Yao uh, does not go unnoticed and I want to encourage you as a congregation to keep supporting missionaries and mission um, and also I'm looking to see and hope that uh, out of Sunnybank Baptist more people will hear the call to cross-cultural mission. I know that we're all on mission, every one of us, every day. But um, there are many people around the world today who, uh, who really need to hear of the saving message of, uh, about our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray before I begin. Father, I want to thank you for Sunnybank Baptist Church. I want to thank you for the people here and for their faithfulness to you, for, for, uh, for calling them, making yourself known to them. I want to thank you for their generosity and for their, their um, keen interest and desire to see people everywhere around them in this suburb and state and overseas come to know what you've done through the Lord Jesus. And I pray that you continue to, uh, uh, to, to encourage people in this congregation to, to, uh, to respond to your call, to be on mission with them, whatever that is. And I pray, Lord, that you would be even raising people up within this congregation who would consider uh, the call that you place upon their lives to cross-cultural ministry. Even this morning, I pray, in the precious and mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Well, uh, a number of years ago, a uh, Yao friend of ours, uh, whom we were working with in Malawi, told us about a visit that he'd made to a small uh, town on the, on the shore of uh, Lake Malawi called Monkey Bay. And uh, while he was in this town, in, in uh, Monkey Bay, he had the opportunity to share with a Yao Muslim man about Jesus. And after a while in the conversation, the Muslim man appeared to be confused about what he was hearing. Uh, particularly he was confused about what he was hearing about Jesus and he actually asked if there are in fact two Jesus, two people called Jesus. You see the Jesus that our friend uh, was sharing with about, he was one who loved and cared for people, one who, who reached out to all people. But the other Jesus whom the man had heard about many times before uh, from different Christians who had come to his village was a, was a, Christ, was a man who... Uh, was, was uh, Jesus who appeared to hate Muslims and who appeared to hate uh, the Prophet Muhammad and everything to do with Islam. Finally, after some more discussion, where our friend was able to share about Jesus as he uh, is portrayed in the Bible, the man said to our friend that he wanted to follow this Jesus because this Jesus would truly love him and accept him. Friends, unfortunately, this Yao Muslim man's experience about Jesus is not unique. Today in Malawi there are, and Mozambique and uh, Tanzania, where the Yao live, uh, there's about 2.5 million Yao Muslims, and less than 5% of them have uh, responded to the gospel. Even though the missionaries have been there 
for more than 140 years, this, uh, this number still remains fairly static. In fact, throughout the whole world, there's uh, about 1.6 billion Muslims today. And it, that number is, exact, is expected to grow uh, by the year 2050. There's meant to be more than uh, 2.3 billion Muslims in the world. And of this vast number, 86% of Muslims will never have the opportunity to hear about Jesus uh, and why he came because they don't know a Christian personally who can actually explain, uh, explain the message to them. I don't know about you, but I actually find those statistics quite staggering. And they should prompt us to consider what can be done for Muslims and people from other religious groups, Hindus and Buddhists, what can be done uh, for people who are in that similar situation so that they can have an opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus. In regard to Islam, there are many factors at work that stop us from sharing uh, our faith and our hope in Jesus with them. So I want to begin this morning by asking you a question that you can think about yourself as we go along. What do you think about Islam? What do you think about Muslims? And secondly, what should our response be as a church? In some sections of our society, uh, emotions are running quite high, particularly in regard to immigration. In fact, according to a recent survey conducted by SBS, many Australians believe that there are actually more Muslims in Australia than there really are. A poll conducted uh, in 2014 found that on average, uh, Australians believed that 18% of the population were actually Muslim, when in actual fact the figure was more like 2.4%. Today you might have not come thinking much about Islam. It's understandable, you're coming to church or Muslims. Others of you might come feeling, uh, feeling uncertain, afraid, particularly because of news headlines and so forth that are uh, always uh, confronting us. Still others might feel great sympathy in your hearts this morning as you've seen the plight of many, many Muslims who are fleeing their homes uh, because of persecution around the world today. Therefore, this morning, I want to talk to you about how we can share the love of Christ and our hope in Jesus with Muslims so that they will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. In the passage that we uh, had just read to us, we hear, about, we hear from Paul and we hear actually this heart-wrenching appeal and challenge to Christ's followers, that's who he was talking to, to take up their responsibility and, uh, of being God's partners in his mission to the unreached. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we will actually see Muslims calling upon the name of the Lord and being saved when we're willing to be neighbours with them. In Romans 10:14, Paul, through a, a series of rhetorical questions, lays out some steps that are required for people to call upon the Lord and be saved. And it's fairly simple logic. Paul says to the Roman believers that they have a really important, really important role to play in that process, in the process of other people coming to faith, as tellers of the good news. So using a simple equation, he says that people can't hear without somebody actually being involved in the process of telling them. And so I think that actually raises some really important issues for us this morning. How will Muslims hear the good news message about Jesus without one of us sharing it with them? 
well, not just one of us, but how will people hear the good news message about Jesus unless we as a community are willing to go and share it with them? And I want to suggest to you this morning that we will only have opportunities to share the hope that we have in Jesus with Muslims when we're actually willing to become neighbours and friends with them, which is a really big challenge. The idea of getting close, though, to people in order to share something important and meaningful is not a new idea, and it's not an idea that actually starts with us in the church or in some sort of theological institution. It actually is a model that, uh, that it's an, it was initiated by God and modelled to us by Jesus. Uh, the Bible tells us in, one, in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and lived amongst us in Jesus so that we could actually understand God and his purposes and come to worship him. One of the many beautiful names or titles for Jesus in the Bible is the title Emmanuel, which in Hebrew means God with us. And so this title, Emmanuel, tells us something about God's desire to get close in order to explain himself. Our God is amazing. Our God is one who actually lowers himself and becomes part of what he has created in order to tell us, tell us something about something really important about himself. Something that actually leads to our healing, our restoration and our redemption. Sociologists, though, they tell us that we actually, though, gravitate to people who are most like us. To those people who have the same interests as us. Those people have the same values and culture and desires and instincts as us. So therefore, if we actually follow our natural desires and our natural instincts, we're not going to actually get close enough to people who are not like us and will therefore never be neighbours with them. But the answer is not actually in there, therefore going out and forcing people to, to, uh, to come, you know, not forcing ourselves out there and start inviting Muslims to come along to our church because actually our church is a foreign environment. It's like a foreign country to many Muslims today as it has strange customs and strange practices. Friends, for Muslims to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, we need to think differently about how we connect with people. And, and we need to explore new ways of actually how we go about sharing our hope in Jesus with them. First, though, we need to actually go and become neighbours with Muslims rather than expecting them to approach us and walk into our church, our churches. And so this is what uh, we've been trying to do in Malawi amongst the Yao while we've been living there over this, uh, these uh, years. So if you actually had come to Malawi... Uh, to visit us in Namwera, where we've lived for those 20 years, you won't actually find uh, a church building that we've actually built. You won't actually find us inviting Muslim Yao to a particular church. What you'll find us doing is trying to live where the Yao Muslims live, and you'll find us building relationships with the Yao, sharing life together with them, and there in that space, seeking to share with them the hope that we have in Jesus and see them form their own communities of faith where Jesus is at the centre. Sharing hope, though, is not something that can be done from a distance. It uh, requires you, or requires people to get close and get more personal. Perhaps even God is challenging you, encouraging you this morning to be, uh, 
to become a neighbour to Muslims in, in, uh, in Greater Brisbane or in uh, Greater Queensland. Perhaps he's calling you to another city in Australia or even maybe he's touching your heart and challenging you about the opportunities that there are to share the hope that we have in Jesus with Yao Muslims today. Still, there are many Yao who are waiting to have someone sit down and explain to them what God has done in a way that's understandable. When Wendy and I uh, became Muslim, uh, not become Muslims, when we became neighbours with Muslims, <laughs> glad to hear you're listening. <laughs> when we became neighbours with Muslims, um, we've actually found them willing to build relationships with us. Over the years in Malawi, we've had many opportunities in numerous villages to share with people about Jesus because we were willing to become neighbours with them. But we were only able to do this after we spent time with them and got to know them and we became their neighbours and they became our friends. In fact, the Yao actually taught Wendy and I a lot about becoming neighbours. Coming from Australia, I don't think we actually, we didn't know what being a good neighbour in a Yao sense meant. Uh, for, for one thing, most of us in Australia, we still don't know the people who live, to, who live around us to any great degree, which is a real shame. There's a Yao proverb, though, that explains what, what is important about being a neighbour in that society. And the proverb says, to stay close together is not a relationship. And the answer is, but visiting one another is. So there's that intention, therefore, of actually being intentional about visiting the people who live around you on a very regular daily basis. Over the years we found that where we've been best able to communicate the hope that we have in Jesus with the Yao and have had, actually had the privilege of seeing Yao people can become followers of Jesus is with the people who we've built uh, good and strong relationships with. I, I don't think that sharing our hope with people is a science. It's not a, it's not a difficult thing. It really comes down to our willingness to become neighbours and make friends. In fact, one study on, uh, on people who work overseas, they actually study people's effectiveness in cross-cultural living, and they've actually found that the most powerful factor for their effectiveness uh, was actually a person's ability to initiate and sustain interpersonal relationships. And I actually think that's probably the factor that actually uh, is is required for sharing your gospel and seeing people come to faith in the communities in which we live today. Our ability to, to actually initiate and sustain interpersonal relationships with people around us. So in order to build cross-cultural relationships, we actually need to display characteristics like openness and acceptance and trust and humility and forgiveness. For me, trust is one of those significant characteristics or the most significant characteristics of a relationship that actually enables people to, uh, to share deeply and for people to actually even begin to listen to, to what we have to say. People won't accept a message from someone they don't trust, especially a message that challenges and calls for them to make uh, deep and significant changes in their life. Of course, all of those characteristics that I just mentioned uh, are practiced differently in different cultures which means that as we go along building relationships with people, we actually need to learn what those things actually look like in those societies and those cultures and not just drag our own assumptions about them from our own host culture and community. 
For example, uh, in dominant Australian culture, a lack of eye contact is often taken as a sign of, of being an untrustworthy person. I remember my dad always telling me, oh, make sure you look people in the eyes, son. I don't know anyone else who had that sort of uh, same, uh, same uh, encouragement from their, from their mums or dads. But in many other societies actually around the world, avoiding eye contact is normal for people, particularly of an opposite gender or, or people who are different social strata to you. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, Wendy and I were actually catching a plane from, from uh, Adelaide to Melbourne. And uh, I remember I was in the back of the plane where I usually sit. And uh, I remember just observing the stewardess up a little bit further at the exit row. And she was trying to explain to a number of Sudanese men about the, uh, about the responsibilities of sitting in the exit row. But partway through... The explanation she became really frustrated and uh, suddenly she she says okay everyone get up and so she makes them all get up out of the seats in the exit row and marches them all down to the back of the plane to find other seats she didn't believe that they were listening to her she didn't believe they were actually understanding what she was saying because they weren't giving her the eye contact that she required and that she was used to They understood her perfectly because I actually, as, I, as they passed me in my seat, I could hear them swearing in perfect English about their, uh, their move to their new seats. If we're serious about sharing our faith with others, we need to think about how we can become neighbours with them as well as how we can become better, and, uh, better at building strong interpersonal relationships with people. Becoming a neighbour with Muslims, though, is the first step. But just being a neighbour with Muslims is, will not be enough for them to understand Jesus and follow him. We also need to be willing to travel with them uh, on a spiritual journey that moves them towards Jesus, but which begins where they're at in their understanding of God and not where we're at in our understanding of God. In, many, in Malawi, many Yao Muslims are hostile to Christianity. They're opposed to becoming Christians, closed to the idea of becoming Christians. While, that, while it seems odd, at the same time, we've actually found that many Yao are actually open to Jesus and open to hearing about Jesus. Jesus is actually a recognised prophet in Islam. He's also an attractive and powerful figure to Muslims. Unfortunately, though, many Yao Muslims are not able to move towards Jesus and accept him as Lord and Saviour because they can't understand where he fits in. They can't understand what he's done or why he's done it. For Muslims to move towards Jesus, they need to have what God has done explained in a way they can understand, starting at the place where they are themselves on their current spiritual journey and not where we are ourselves. Sometimes we want to rush on straight away and start talking about Jesus. But for Muslims, there's often need for a long explanation to, the, uh, to, to talk about why he's come. This idea, though, is not a new idea, uh, but something that Jesus modelled himself. In fact, in the story of the two travellers on, on the Emmaus Road, we're told that they're actually dismayed about Jesus' death because they actually couldn't conceive of a Messiah who died. And so this view of Jesus, of a Messiah who can't die, 
uh, actually prevented them from really knowing Jesus and even recognizing him while, while, they're actually, while he's actually walking with them along the road. Jesus, however, he starts talking to them about what happened in Jerusalem. And he starts from a place that's very familiar to them, to the two travelers. And then he moves through scriptures, telling, telling, uh, moves through scriptures, starting in the Old Testament with their greatest prophet. And after starting there, he starts to move through scriptures, telling the prophecies about the Messiah, about promising about the Messiah coming. And only after he's done this, does he move to a place where he could explain about his own death and resurrection. So this actual process, this journey opened the eyes of the two travellers. And in the end, they could see Jesus for the first time as he truly is. In Malawi, to help uh, our Muslims see Jesus, we also don't start by talking to them about Jesus. You see, Jesus is actually the finale of God's salvation plan. With the Yao, uh, in Bible studies, we start in the Old Testament with stories that, are, that they're already familiar with. That actually some of those stories are actually found in the Bible and even in the Quran. And so then we seek to move them through the Bible towards Jesus so that they too can experience him and see him uh, for who he really is. And so this process can take months, it can take years uh, and um, it doesn't take place. We have never found people coming to faith in Jesus through a casual encounter or, over a, or, or, or just because of a couple of hours' visit. It always is a long process. Uh, just before leaving Malawi in December, I had the privilege of baptising the chief of our village, Mr. S, Mr. S, Mr. Sumaili. And uh, for Mr. S to come to faith in Jesus... It took, us to, it took us to share the story of what, is, what God has done for him uh, through Jesus in a manner that he could actually understand. Uh, so we started with, uh, with some stories in the Old Testament. And as we progressed, certain, certain, of those, certain ones of those stories began to speak to his heart. The story of Joseph spoke to him about God's purposes being fulfilled even when they don't seem to be or seem to go against the, the situation. The story of the, uh, the dry bones in Ezekiel challenged him to consider his own spiritual dryness. The story of the suffering servant in Isaiah spoke to him of God's unrelenting desire to restore and redeem people through his servant. I remember after the study on looking at the suffering servant, uh, I... Uh, I asked Mr. S who he thought this suffering servant would be. And after some consideration, he, uh, he said, Oh, that, that sounds to me like what Isa has done. And Isa is the Arabic term that uh, most Muslims use for Jesus. He said, uh, He's the one who suffered to the point of death for people, for their sin, he said. So a week later, after we watched the Jesus film together in Chiao, Mr. S declared that he would follow Jesus and that's what he's doing today and we had the privilege of baptizing him just before we left. Jesus is an attractive figure to people from other cultures and other religions but in order for them to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved we need to be willing to travel with them on a spiritual journey so they can know him more fully. Unfortunately though the few Muslims who do hear the message about Jesus today and and who decide to put their faith in him and follow him, often end up leaving their own cultures and joining a foreign one. 
And often they uh, join a, a, a Western or Christian culture or expression of the faith in order to, to actually do that because that's what the church is offering people. Too often, though, leaving your own culture means that you feel dislocated and disconnected from your own family and your own community uh, and uh, even lose your own cultural identity and wonder who you are. And when people actually lose their cultural identity and become disconnected from their own people, they also lose this powerful ability to share and influence people in their own communities because they are no longer seen as part of that community but actually seen as in outsiders and no longer as insiders. <clears throat> in some countries, it's also impossible to change your religious identity, even if you wanted to. In other situations, it's quite dangerous to do so. And people, when they do, are often driven from their communities or even worse, killed for doing so. Today, I want to suggest to you that our own mixture of Western and Christian culture and practices are actually obstacles and barriers to Muslims coming to faith in Jesus. So in order to see Muslims becoming followers of Jesus, we need to be willing to help them come to Jesus without actually having to become Western Christians first. And that might sound like a contradiction. You might, you might actually think, oh, gee, Ian, you're skating on thin ice this morning. But I ask you to hear me out. You see, the way that we actually do church in this building this morning, the Christian names that we call ourselves and our children, the way we sing songs here this morning, the way we sit, the way we pray, the, way, the clothes we wear, the way we marry, the way we bury the dead, the way we do Bible study, the way we practice the Lord's Supper, the way we baptise people, the food we eat, the food we don't eat, the way we don't practice circumcision anymore in our own society, all of those things are not like the way the first followers of Jesus did those things. That might surprise you. We've actually fused our understanding of what it means to worship God and follow Jesus with our own culture and our own context and our own heritage and in many ways, that's okay for us, though it could do with a critique from time to time, I think. But the real problem comes when we actually set the way that we do things as the norm for other people from different cultures and from different contexts and from different religious traditions. The, the disciples and the earliest followers of Jesus, they were all Jews. They didn't think of following Jesus as actually being outside of Judaism. But rather, they, uh, they didn't think of following Jesus as being outside of, of Judaism, but rather that Jesus was actually the fulfilment of Judaism. And early on, they thought that if, if non-Jews actually wanted to become following Jesus, then they actually needed to become Jews first, both culturally and religiously. And so we see this sort of uh, this battle or this, um, this thing unfolding in the book of Acts. Luke tells us, that, um, that these actually ideas about needing to become a Jew first were challenged and changed when, when non-Jewish people started become, when, when non-Jewish people started believing and repenting and being filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we read that the apostles Paul and Barnabas argued before a church council that non-Jews shouldn't have to practice Jewish culture in order to follow Jesus. And so they rallied against putting religious and cultural barriers 
uh, in the way of non-Jewish people coming to faith. And after they did this, this actually opened the door uh, to a flood of non-Jews becoming followers of Jesus. And which is the very reason why we're actually sitting here in this room today having this conversation. We should praise the Lord for, the, for those people willing to listen and read Scripture and under the influence of the Holy Spirit understand what God was doing in their time. Today, to see Muslims and people of other cultures and religions, religious traditions come into faith in Jesus, we also need to remove the barriers and obstacles, the unnecessary barriers and obstacles that are preventing them from following Jesus. And instead, we need to help people discover Jesus while they're, in, while they're within their own cultures, allowing Jesus to speak to them and shape them within the folds of their own communities and not expect them to leave them or look like us, but like Jesus. The gospel needs to be shared and heard by people as if, as if Jesus was originally one of them. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 3, Paul says, We're putting no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found within, with our ministry. In Malawi, we try to live in a way that gives us opportunity to have conversations with people that do not, pe- do not put people off from hearing about Jesus. So it means that whatever we're doing, we try to think about it from the cultural orientation of the people that we're sharing with. So this covers a lot of things, it covers mundane practices, such as what food or drink we actually have in our house. We try not to have things that are offensive to Muslims there. It also determines how we dress in public, uh, how we uh, pray. It even guides the things we talk about with our friends and neighbours, what part of scriptures we draw attention to. And we do all of this because we desire to share Christ effectively. We understand that effectiveness is actually hampered by obstacles that we put in people's way that make them stumble and that prevent them from hearing, listening and responding to the good news about Jesus. I learned this lesson, uh, really, I learned this lesson the hard way about not putting obstacles in people's way a number of years ago. Uh, each, year, uh, in, uh, each year the Yao practiced the fast of Ramadan and all Muslims around the world pr- practice this fast. It's a month-long fast where people don't eat or drink anything from dawn, from really dawn till dusk, uh, for about uh, for, for a whole month. And after we'd been in Malawi for a couple of years, I uh, I had started leading a regular Bible study uh, with a, with a, some people from a village near where we were living. And uh, by this time a number of people had started to become followers of Jesus, put their faith in Jesus. And uh, in those early years, I remember I actually was trying to do the fast, but I often found the fast really quite hard to do. In fact, uh, Locke was reminding me when he was with me, I would actually have to go and lie down about two o'clock in the afternoon because I just felt so faint. Uh, And uh, I was sort of out for an hour or so, and then I'd wake up again. Uh, But it's just found it really tough. And so... um, uh, one year I decided that I wouldn't actually observe the fast because it was just too hard. And uh, while I was in the village one day during this year, this Ramadan, of this month of Ramadan, I was actually invited to come and eat lunch with another, with a, with a Yao, Yao man who'd put his faith in Jesus, who wasn't actually fasting. I'm not sure exactly why he wasn't. He was probably sick or something like that. Uh, but there was some reason. 
And I remember at that time, there were also a number of people coming to our Bible study on a regular occasion who were Muslims. And so they hadn't actually put their faith in Christ. And uh, we were eating outside, as the Yao often do. We're just eating away. And partway through our meal, one of these members of the group came along who was a Muslim, who was fasting. And he saw us there outside outside this house and stopped and chatted with us uh, for a while as we were eating. And I, uh, as soon as I saw him coming, I don't know if you ever had those sort of gut-wrenching sort of moments in your life when you think, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Well, this was one of those sort of aha moments for me. And I realized, oh, I've done the wrong thing. I shouldn't be eating in public during Ramadan. If I'm not going to fast, well, that's okay, that's up to me. But I shouldn't actually be out there eating in public. Uh, And so... uh, it was, a, it, was a, it was a pivotal moment for that man because although I saw him many times after that day in the community, I never ever saw him again come to our Bible study and, uh, and um, I'd obviously offended him and it prevented him from hearing me further go on to explain the hope that I have in Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.19 says, Although I'm free... In, all, in respect to all, I've made myself a slave to all so that I might win more people to Jesus. What does putting no obstacles in the way of people coming to faith mean for this church? What could it mean? What could it mean for you this morning with your neighbours, with other people in the city, with colleagues you work with? It might mean that you will need to think more about uh, what it means being a neighbour to, to a person with different food habits or laws than you, than you have, particularly if you're going to invite them around for a meal. You might actually have to think through that whole process. As a church, it might mean you need to explore different ways of connecting and sharing your hope with Jesus rather than expecting them to come to a service each Sunday. Maybe you need to think about what else, what other ways you could actually do that. Jesus is calling his church into action. Jesus' call to mission is not an invitation to to join him if we want. You see, mission is actually in our DNA. It's who we're meant to be because mission is actually an attribute of God. We, We exist to be God's partners in his mission to the world. In Matthew 28 verse 19, Jesus calls us to make disciples of all nations, starting where we live and going to the farthest ends of the earth in order to do that. All nations, for me, is an inclusive term. And it must include people who belong to other cultures and other religions, such as Muslims, Hindus and Buddhists. To begin begin doing this, we need to explore new paths of sharing our hope. We need to step out of our comfort zone and cross the street, seeking to become neighbours with different people we will then need to be willing to walk with them on a spiritual journey towards Jesus and to free them in Christ to follow him authentically so that on that great and wonderful day when we're called up into heaven, they will be part of the great multitude from every people, tribe and tongue, standing before the Lamb of God, worshipping him and bringing him their own unique worship, bringing their own unique worship to the King of Kings. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. 
We want to thank you for, uh, for him coming, for him dying. We want to thank you for those brave disciples and apostles listening to your Holy Spirit who discovered that, uh, that they didn't need to become Jews first or other people didn't need to become Jews first in order to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray for us as a community that you would help us to explore new ways of sharing our hope with people, that you'd help us to think and consider what it means to be a neighbour to people in our city and that you might help us to go on a spiritual journey with them, willing to journey with them over a long period until they see, see Jesus as he truly is. We thank you for this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.